Hey, best friends. Thanks for listening to JVJ Podcast. This week we have a very special announcement. Your favorite podcast host, Josh Hatfield, published his first book on Amazon. That's right. The long-awaited Slime Girl is up and ready for you to buy. We'll leave a link in the episode's description. Here's a little bit about the book. In the year 2101, most people spend most of their free time in islands, a virtual world that lets you be whoever you want to be. Sylvia Grohl is a 19-year-old starting college when she learns that relationships can get complicated when you're not being honest. Things take a turn for the worst when she starts receiving creepy packages in the mail. Will she be able to unravel the mystery before it's too late, or will she have to face the consequences of her own actions? Action, adventure, demons, slime girls, this book has it all. (laughs) Wow, that sounds like one hell of a book. I know I would buy it. How about you? Welcome to JVJ. I'm your host, Corey Hatfield. With me is Josh Hatfield, and JDS is not here this week. We have a special guest, Larry Doily. Doyle. Doily. How do you want us to pronounce your name? Yeah. Whatever you want. The Doyle. 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 And do you go by Larry? I know on your books they're all Larry, but your your email's different. Uh, I usually just go by Doyle. Doyle? You just want yeah. to call you Doyle? That's I mean, nice. we, we can call you sir or master if you want. Uh, I think that's up uh, for the president now because, uh, you know, he's sort of got that going for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I reached out to you because I I did watch uh, the movie I Love You, Beth Cooper, and I was thinking about it. And I've been going through and listening to the books because, you know, the books are so much better than the movies. And. Uh, so I was just thinking about movies I enjoyed, so I went back and started watching or listening to books, and uh, I found I Love You, Beth Cooper, and it just, it was so good that I checked out the Go Mutants, and you wrote it in 2010, and it feels like it should be like a book people should be reading in schools today. Like, I just felt like it was very topical for 2019. Well, one of the problems with it being topical for now is that it's been the same story for a long time. It's really set in like 1971. Yeah. If you if you follow the math of it, and it's dealing with the same issues that everyone was dealing in the 50s. It's just we're just doing it all over again. You know, it's like the same stuff. It's scaremongering. It's you know, it's the exact same kind of stuff that we've seen uh, that you're seeing now. They did then. It works Shit. then. It that's, works now. That's super depressing. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how you wrote it? Did you write it to depress people, or did you write it as a comedy? Um, you or know, uh, when you write anything as a comedy, uh, 
you always have some or 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 it won't work. You always have some serious intent underneath it. And and that could be political, it could be personal, it could be something like that. But you you always have some underlying idea. The trick is to not have it show too much because if it shows too much, it's not funny. You know, it's just kind of preachy. Um, uh, but so it was a combination of uh, thinking about some of the things that were happening when I was writing it and uh, tying them back to the 50s. You know, in, in, when I was writing it, it was more about uh, foreigners or Muslims or whatever and tying it back to communists who were the topic then. And then those movies... Uh, I, I've always liked those movies, the movies of the 50s, and, and that actually is a combination of the Alien movies, the melodrama movies, and the JD movies, the juvenile delinquent movies of the time. Um, uh, but they were all about being afraid of this other that was coming to get you. And so I thought it would be just fun to make it like real, like those things really happened, and just put them all together. And, and the, the other fun thing about the 50s was... That was the future that everyone imagined was going to come. You know, it's like uh, a lot of like, for example, almost all of the cars in that book are real concept cars that were uh, developed in the 50s. You can find the actual pictures of them on the Web. And and a lot of the things that show up as just the ongoing kind of uh, decorations around it are all stuff that they talked about in the 50s. There's a character there named Googie, I think, and that was the kind of design, that spaceship design that you see. So um, I guess, you know, these things start in anger and then you want to have fun. And so um, a lot of it was really self-indulgent fun. I don't really feel like uh, lecturing anyone, but the armature, the satiric armature was probably based on the, on a feeling, you know? Yeah, I, I feel like the way the main character dealt with his bullies was just so it was just so genius like anytime they tried to come at him with force he was just so witty they were shut down it was brilliant although they do eventually humiliate him in that um yeah they did yeah he got <laughs> the last laugh <laughs> yeah uh, eventually but uh, but that's because he was uh, i mean he's based on james dean in in rubble without a cause so he he has a lot of sort of inner torment, but he can still deal with people on the outside. Um, I, I didn't really base any of the characters on anybody I knew. They were kind of based on the archetypes that were sort of from that era, if that makes sense. You, you saw those, all of those characters, there was some variation of them you saw. The, the um, uh, Johnny was sort of based on Marlon Brando. Um, uh and then there was uh, the Blob Kid, whose name now just escapes me. But he You're was all right. We don't know any characters' names ever. Right, but he um, wasn't too many books. He was based on not only you know the Blob, but also in a lot of sort of uh, movies and books of the time. There was always this kind of overweight sidekick that would be sort of bumbling around. Like the Hardy Boys had a guy named Chet. You know, and so he was sort of like that guy. Um, and so they all sort of fit into various things. And uh, in the paperback edition, I actually did a kind of an index and a parody of an index that showed where every single one, every single reference came from. Because when people read the first book, they kept saying there's like 
must be thousands of references here that I'm missing. <laughs> and and there, there might have been, you know. I mean, it's just sort of like uh, whenever I write anything, when we were working, on, when I was working on The Simpsons, um, we would often do jokes that we thought people wouldn't get. Um, and I don't know what your rating is for this thing, but the the basic line was if someone did a joke and anyone said, well, I don't I don't think people will get that. The answer was always, well, fuck them. <laughs> that's great. I think that's how they did it on Frasier, too. <laughs> um, but, but the idea uh, behind doing that kind of joke to make it work is that you have to do it in such a way so that if you don't get the joke, you can still proceed. In other words, the joke is sort of coming along the way. It, it's not coming in a way where if you don't understand what they're talking about, you under, won't understand what's being said next. Right. Yeah, so there's sort of references, um, and uh, I even find my my son, who's now 15, who's watched all of the things, he's watched more of them than I have, um, he'll often think that certain things from history or from movies originated in The Simpsons. Yeah, everything I know about Star Wars is from The Simpsons. Right, but he'll be surprised <laughs> to find out, you know, that actually a character in a movie... Uh, uh, was a computer that was out to get, you know, the people in the house. You know, he just, he doesn't, he's like, oh, well, that's like that thing. Uh, yeah, but they did it first. Who was uh, Scott Meyer, we had him on. Uh, he's an author, and he said uh, he stopped watching The Simpsons years ago, but he still speaks like an 80% Simpson quotes. Um, I feel bad for him, then. <laughs> That's all right. He wasn't very clever or charming. But, uh, I mean, uh, that that show is basically, you know, 12 to 15 people who, <clears throat> because of the way it was created, can just do whatever they want. Um, it, it, it got from the very beginning that the studio couldn't um, <clears throat> participate. They, they weren't allowed to say, you can't do this or you can't do that. They, they, the, the um, you know standards would sometimes come in and say you couldn't do this or that and and when i was there we just ignored them most of the time we just did it anyway <laughs> and nobody stopped us but um as a result it was just sort of a pure, pure form of people do, doing sort of what they thought was funny and what they wanted to see and um in that way it was a lot like the original looney tunes was where they weren't when you asked them <clears throat> i remember having uh, I got to have lunch with Chuck Jones before he died, and he basically said, we didn't make the cartoons for anybody. We we made them for ourselves. And and because <clears throat> we're such a small part of a giant machine, nobody ever bothered to stop us. Mm. Uh, so The Simpsons is sort of like that, and uh, <clears throat> I don't know if any of them feel the same way, but if you're in there for a long enough period of time, um, you just sort of know where all that stuff's coming from. And it doesn't necessarily seem um, all that brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're doing something, right? It's been going on how many years now? Uh, 31. Yeah. It, that's the thing. It's the little things that make it brilliant. Like going back to uh, Go Mutant, there was just a line in there that was hilarious to me where Dr. Rand met up with Mew and he was saying how bad he feels that his wife lost her body. And she said, it's not your fault. And he said, yes, it is. I was trying to save some money by giving, having her give birth at home instead of a hospital. <laughs> it's just those little throwaway jokes that are hilarious. Oh, he was a good character. Yeah. I like he was always hanging out at the strip clubs. And stuff. Uh, was that yeah. based on you? 
no, no. I, I mean, he was just a, he was your standard mad scientist. And you know, there's the um, the movie, the thing that wouldn't die with the head in the jar that, in, in the pan. That's who she was. Um, the th- there were plenty of times when I was writing "I Love You" with Cooper, and when I was writing "Go Mutants," so I wish there was like ten other people in the room who could come up with the right joke. And and what I'm saying is, like a lot of these jokes that you hear on The Simpsons that are brilliant, they don't happen all at once. Someone over here says something, someone kind of tops it, someone over here says something else, and then the line that actually gets in the show is said by another writer. But that writer would have never come up with that line if he wasn't or she wasn't bouncing off the other writers yeah do you have any uh plans to write any more books like i feel just from those two those are the only ones i've had a chance to read so far but you do like teen teen drama teen angst like brilliantly and i would love to hear more um well i i I started writing a book uh about uh it was sort of a an over-the-top conspiracy thriller where there was a character who was an author who ended up living in his conspiracy and he had created a world in which people believed in conspiracies. And I stopped writing it in about 2015 for various reasons. Um, But one of the elements it had in it was, as part of an alternate history that he had sort of caused, was that, uh, and I'm not making this up, that Donald Trump was elected president in 2016, (laughs) but was assassinated at his inauguration um and so michelle bachman became president that's where you can see where it's dated anyway when when (laughs) that happened i I put i I actually put that out and you can like buy that for 99 cents like 100 pages of it um the next one or is that something else it was called the next one okay yeah Um, yeah. and and uh, it's like 100 pages and i can't recommend you buying it um but (laughs) but i just put it out there because I really liked it. One of the reasons why I liked it is that um, the the main character was a former CIA guy who had written these conspiracy thrillers, like Dan Brown-type thrillers, um, only he was an even worse writer than Dan Brown. So <laughs> the, the, it allowed me to just indulge in the worst kind of bad writing when, you're, when you see excerpts of stuff that he wrote. Um, and uh, maybe I'll finish that. I'm currently writing a book. Well, it's supposed to be, uh, it was supposed to be sort of a YA book, but it seems to be turning into a meditation on death. So I'm not sure that, <laughs> that it will work too. for them when it's done, but it's sort of a, a kind of a mystery something. So, in it. so you wrote on all these TV shows like, um, was it Daria and Rugrats and, you know, the Simpsons, uh, my question is, is this you credited for the Irish pub cooking book? No. 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 And I'm not the uh, the chef in San Francisco, and I'm not the asshole uh, Wall Street trader who is also online all the time. Now, do you want to redo that and you could just take credit for all that? <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, especially not I'm the an last, Irish pub cooker. Especially not the last guy. Um, <laughs> uh Larry Doyle is a very common name. I, I think I looked it up. When I was doing I Love You, Beth Cooper, there were various other names that Beth Cooper had. And one of the things that I decided to do was to try to make her name be as common as possible, rather than it being an unusual name, to be some name that a lot of people might have. And in fact, there were 
more than 2,000 Beth Coopers in the United States. Um, and uh, on the website, we actually ran pictures of a bunch of them. They would send in their pictures. Uh, so you can actually, there's a place you can go on and look up how many people have your name. And I think there's more than 2,000 that have my name. Yeah, well, so why didn't you name it I Love You, Larry Doyle? That would have been good. It would have been confusing when you actually read the book. But. Yeah, it would have been a little <laughs> confusing. Um, the, uh, you know, you're stuck with the name that you get, right? It was my dad's name. It's my name. It's the name of a, a very famous baseball player who's all, none of these people are related to me. And that awesome pub guy. And that um, awesome pub guy. He might be the, he might be, I don't think so. The San Francisco chef, I think, is kind of a fancy chef. And there's a, a racist uh, sheriff in Texas named Larry Doyle, too. So. Oh, that's cool. Good company. You're, huh? you're kind of a Larry Doyle expert, man. Yeah. There was a, the, uh, many, many years ago when I was doing stuff for Esquire magazine, I had pitched them an idea, which was me going around the country interviewing other people named Larry Doyle. And they were all for it, but then I decided I didn't really feel like traveling all around the country. Uh, well, someone else took up your cause. Uh, David Gorman, he went around finding everybody named David Gorman. I think that was only like... From my idea. Yeah, you should sue him. You can't sue for an idea and... You can at least beat him up. Yeah. First place. We'll David, trick Gorman, him. David Gorman is probably a better idea for that kind of thing because... When you think of the name David Gorman, you don't think there must be a thousand of them, right? Yeah, but then again, I didn't think there was a lot of Beth Coopers. It stuck out to me enough where I never forgot the title, which is the one. Good. The one very chilling thing that happened is one of the Beth Coopers that contacted me was the head cheerleader in her high school. And so I was like, oh, uh, because there are a lot of things that are said about the Beth Cooper in the book. That aren't exactly the kind of things you'd want she to say. She said, I'm suing you for your idea. She was actually very delighted to be it. Um, she's named Beth Cooper because the name of the the name of the girl who I sort of based it on was Beth. And uh, Cooper Junior High was where I met her. Oh, that's cool. Is that based on you? Um, if I was a lot smarter. Um, mm. I, had a, I had a crush on a... I had a crush on this girl in junior high, and um, and I never got to know her. I would sit behind her. Uh, it's very similar to in the book where it's alphabetical when you're seated alphabetically. So I'd be sitting behind her, and we can figure uh, um, her out based off of that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll track her down. Yeah, get a hold of the the yearbook, and uh, I never really knew her. So. Uh, I sort of created it out. My original version of it was with her name, which I'm not going to tell you. Um, but my agent suggests that I should change it. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably for the best. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, the whole point of that story is that he doesn't, yeah. that he has this whole idea of who she is. And the evening that he spends with her is where he figures out where it is. And, and, it, and it starts with him being disillusioned. And then hopefully, if I did it right, coming around to feeling like she was a person yeah, yeah. that's why it's so relatable because we all make these like well especially at that time in your life you make all these fantasies in you in your head like you just see someone walking by and change both of your lives in your mind and then it's like you don't know them at all well i mean you nerds do yeah. cool guys like me don't yeah yeah i was a janitor of my high school so i had all the ladies yeah while you were in high school you were also the janitor yeah yeah 
the jack of well he wasn't he wasn't the head janitor no yeah i was just worker assistant janitor so you basically just buried the bodies you didn't do any other stuff so you wrote uh the book and then uh it got turned into a movie you wrote the movie as well i did and i was involved in the movie and and i'm sorry um it didn't work Uh, i i think I liked it. I've always thought of it fondly from the first time I watched it. But, I mean, I was a fan of the actress they had in it. I think maybe the main character was not the quite look for it, but I thought it was... Uh, he well, looked older than I thought. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that right. was one of the problems I had with it, where Paul Rust is a really good guy and he's a really good comic actor. But the problem for me was that Hayden was was 18 years old when she did the movie mm-hmm. and Paul was 27 um yeah. and when when we and, and I remember telling them he does not look like he's still in high school and they would go oh he looks young to me and I go ask a fucking 15 year old how old he is <laughs> and when it came out there was all these things online is like why is she interested in that 40 year old guy <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so there was there was that problem. The other problem for me was they had gone with just a stereotypical sort of nerd look, mm-hmm. and I describe him in the book, and it's sort of important in terms of the arc that he takes in the story that he's just sort of young for his age. He's inexperienced. He's small for his age. Um, you might think of him as cute, but if you were a senior in high school, you wouldn't. Um, I, I, I've often described him as the kind of kid where people's mothers would say, you should go out with him. He's really cute. And you're like, what? That's what people uh, used to tell you. Yeah. And I'm sure he's pretty like, like the character would be pretty naive because of how open his parents are. Like that would right. be. And he didn't have any experience. I had an experience kind of like that in high school where there was this girl. Um, I, I, I guess I can say her name cause I'm not going to say anything negative about her. Um, Cynthia Hannenfent. And she was in band, and my mother kept saying how pretty she was and how I should, like, go out with her or something like that. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then, like, ten years later, I ran into her in a grocery store, and um, she was a model. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, it happens to the best of us, Larry. (laughs) But you can actually do this. You can go back to your junior high school you know, yearbook, your high school yearbook, and you can look at all the women you thought were hot, and then if you've gone to a reunion, you know how they turned out. And all of these women who, you know, when Cameron Diaz says, as she does, that she was gawky and unattractive in high school, I totally believe her. Mm. Well, you don't have to go to reunions anymore because they're all on Facebook, sliding into your DMs. They just don't take no for an answer. Well, one of the problems going to uh, reunion, especially when you're my age, is you, you go in. I haven't gone for maybe the last 10 years, but about 10 years ago I went and I walked in and I was like, who are all these middle-aged people? <laughs> <laughs> and when you see people like your age that you know are your age, it suddenly occurs to you, I am that old. Well, and I'm sure you feel a lot different when you're writing like, a cartoon for a living, and they're working at a bank. <laughs> you always want to work at a bank? Was that a sore subject? <laughs> yeah, it seemed I'm like a, you really wanted to work at a bank. I, I'm doing much better than they are doing my stupid little cartoon. But um, uh, 
Yeah, it's one of those things like uh, I, I often have a dream where most of my dreams still are like I'm in college and I've forgotten to take a test or, you know, that kind of ordinary dream. And, and, and often in the middle of the dream, I'll go, wait a second, I'm not 21 years old. I'm, I'm like 40 years old. And then as I continue to wake up, I go, wait, no, I'm not even 40 years old. I'm 60 years old. Um, so even, even in the dream where I'm like, uh, 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 like chastising myself for thinking that I'm young, I'm not even as young as I think that when I'm old. No, that's, that's all right. You're young, you're young at heart and you're staying young through writing books about young girls. <laughs> well, the protagonist of the book I'm writing now is a 10 year old girl. So there's that. So you're going even younger. Yeah. Well, there's feel like a kid. Right <laughs> Uh, I had a question. You had a, a book, uh, uh, Deliriously Happy and Other Bad Thoughts. Yeah. I, I mean, it came out, what, 2010? Was that when it was? 2011. Yeah. I was just wondering, if will that ever be turned into an audio book? Um, for the seven or eight people who bought the original I, book? I'm just saying, if you turn it into an audio book, you'll get at least one. Uh, no, I don't. I, I, I kind of doubt it. It was a collection, and they sort of did it because they had done the other two books. Um, it's just a bunch of pieces that I wrote for The New Yorker and some other places. They're just humor pieces. Um, I'm not sure how it would work as, a, as an audio book. There's no... Well, I, I don't know if you know this or not, if they just steal your material. But like a lot of the stuff you've written for The New Yorker is on Audible. Oh, can... they, do they do that? The New Yorker reads those things? Yeah, I guess. I, don't, I haven't bought any. What we're saying is, if you want us to turn this into an audio book... Josh will do it. Okay, great. Deal. Um, unfortunately, I probably don't have the rights to let you do that. That's um, what I was going to ask you. Neither do like, we. <laughs> when, when you write something for, like, the New Yorker, they have all the rights, don't they? Um, yes, technically they do, although they have traditionally been very generous about letting you do whatever you want with them. But technically they do own the rights. And so um, there isn't anything I ever wrote for the New Yorker that could have been a movie. But theoretically, they could have stopped me if I wanted to do that. And then when I put them all in a collection, I had to get their written permission to do it. But they, as a general rule, just give permission. But they do own those rights. Um, and uh, when you write a book, though, at least when I was writing books, uh, publishers are trying to now retain movie rights and stuff for books. Um, they won't ever get that from me, but they might get it from new newer authors. Um they don't have any say in anything that happens with a movie or a book. Like, for example, Go Mutants, we sold to Imagine as a movie, and um, they decided not to make it as a movie. But if something were to happen, I actually think it would work now um, as a limited series. Like oh, a, yeah, that'd be good. It's called Netflix. Right. But, uh, uh, yeah, I... I Maybe someday that'll happen. I don't know. It's not up to me. Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, you're 100% right, because, I mean, there's a lot going on in that book, and it's, it's, it's real damn hard to squeeze that into two hours. That's why I think series are killing it now as opposed to movies. Yeah, well, the thing, too, is when I wrote that uh, screenplay, which I wrote around the same time I wrote the book, um, it would have been easily a $200 million movie if not more than that. And now you could do it for 
probably a third of that. Hmm. Um, I could do a lot of it on my my computer right here. I, um, so a there lot you of go. Things, make your own movie. A lot of things that you would have to do um, effects wise would just be pretty simple now. I and feel it, like it would be like a yeah. I feel like it'd have to be a series because like if it was a movie, in my mind, it'd be like a four hour movie because each character is so developed like they each have their own story yeah and i think hbo spent like 200 million dollars on every episode of game of thrones right. so that sounds perfect it wouldn't have it wouldn't even cost that much but i um i actually had a sequel in mind for the book but uh the book did so poorly nobody was interested in it so there you go that's surprising to me that that's sad maybe you being on this podcast will that's success. <laughs> Maybe yeah, a bunch I of people will go online and get it on Amazon for ninety nine cents or whatever it's selling for now on Amazon. Um, it didn't. It it didn't sell well. Uh, I love you, Beth Cooper, sold really well. Um, that book did. It got some good reviews, um, but it didn't sell a lot of copies. Well, I know I saw it and I was like, well, I don't know if I want to want to read it. And then after I listened to I love you, Beth Cooper, I was like, I don't know. I was. I have a whole list of books to read. But instead of reading them, I bought your next book. So I feel like people just gave it a shot. Thank you. What a bunch of assholes out there, you know? Um, yeah, you would think that. It, it's so funny where I know a lot of people who use social media to, like, uh, build up their books and whatever. And I tried that for a while. And it was just, I remember with, um, I love you, Beth Cooper. This is when Facebook didn't exist. It was just MySpace. But MySpace allowed you to, like, chop up their membership. So I could send things to everyone who was a fan of The Simpsons and Beavis and Butthead and, you know, uh, John Hughes, right? They, they would give me those people, and I could send them messages. And I sent messages to all sorts of people to show up at my various book readings. And as far as I can tell... Only two people ever showed up um, based on me contacting them, MySpace. And I contacted thousands of people. I mean, I, literally thousands of people. And one of them said that she wished she could buy my book, but she didn't have enough money. So I gave her the book. So so my whole total social media was actually a net negative. was <laughs> <laughs> sweet of you. I wish I could buy your book, too. We, we both wish we could buy your book. <laughs> we just but, don't have the money. If you just want to send us the money, though, that'd be What better. are you going to do? Like, you're sitting there, <laughs> this person says they would really love to have your book, and yeah. they can't afford it. Well, I would say no, but I'm not as nice as you. Um, I'm not even sure it's a matter of being nice. I mean, it's a sort of a social situation where you the, there's a level of, like, you want to be generous, but then there's also the level of which you don't want to be an asshole. You know, it's like... So, yeah, <laughs> this was on MySpace. That that was on MySpace. You could have just blocked her. No, she showed up at the. She was the there. Theater. Oh, you could have just put your <laughs> hand on her face. Yeah, say I block you. I block you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a tough one. What do you say? Too bad. Wow. Well, maybe you should get a job or something. <laughs> yeah. You're like I'll I'll distract the cashier. You run out with it. Yeah. Man. I had one reading for I Love You, Beth Cooper in San Francisco where um, uh, only one person showed up. And I was this middle-aged woman. And I think that she 
basically just showed up to these things. And I'm sitting here, and she's sitting in the fourth row, like the only person. So I go down to the third row, and I turn the chair around and say, you know, if you want, I'll read the book to you. And she says, okay. And so I read to her for like 10 minutes, and and then she gets up, and she didn't buy the book. (laughs) You would think she would at least feel a little something, like I should do something, give you a dollar. I told I, I, I told that story to um, somebody who drives authors around, and he had an even better one in San Francisco where a guy had a book reading, and there were three people at the book reading. And midway through the reading, the police came in and arrested two of them. <laughs> and and they, what had happened is they had um, robbed a jewelry store down the street and thought that they could hide out at this book reading. <laughs> <laughs> There's only three? That's great. Yeah. Kind of stick out there. Did they have bags of jewels? <laughs> I, I I didn't hear m- too much of the rest of that story. Yeah. Well, get back get back to us on that. We got to know. Um. So I it, it's it's sort of weird when you when you write something. Um. Before we started. Uh. Before this happened, I went back and I was like just skimming the book, and there's so much in it that I don't remember writing. Mm. I, um. And I guess I, I, I guess there are some readers who uh, writers who rewrite and reread everything they do, but I, I, I don't. I was just like hey, so much that I did not remember writing it that I actually laughed at a couple of my own jokes, like like oh well, that's pretty good. You could pick it up for fifteen bucks on Audible if you want to yeah. do that, and then you could have someone read it to you. You could actually have Paul Rust read you "I Love You, Beth Cooper." I have uh, 20 or 30 of those, actually, in a box in my closet. And I also have a bunch of the Go Mutants ones, too. Mm. Uh, I, I have not listened to either of them. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Are you uh, ready for the part of the podcast where you just answer random questions? Sure. Okay. Uh, uh, hang on. Oh, you had... No, let's no. just explain to him why we're answering this. I... Our podcast... Explain to him an email form. So you know what's going on. We don't have to explain to anyone. These are, well, I'm not sure how much you have to explain the phrase random a question. Yeah, random. I said random. Okay. And Why are you trying questions. to make me look like a dick in front of them? Because you always call us life coaches, and I like that. Oh, we're life coaches. Okay, uh, good. Okay, these were sent in by, oh, I'm going to say this horribly, Genevieve? Genevieve? Genevieve Soily. Soily. Uh, first I'm pretty question. sure you got that wrong. No, I just, I mean, Genevieve, Genevieve Soily, S-O-I-L-E, if that's you, uh, sorry. Uh, first question, are you a better dancer or singer? That's a really hard one. Because you're so good com- at both. I've been competitive in both. Um, I neither dance nor sing, so I can't really tell you which one I'm worse at. Uh, the last time I danced was in eighth grade, and uh, when I was confirmed in fifth grade, we were all we all sing together the the hymns and stuff. It's Catholic confirmation, and the nuns took three of us aside and said, "You should just mouth the word." <laughs> no, that's how good of a singer I am. Well, has anybody ever told you you should just stand still while you're dancing? I didn't even dance at my wedding, so. I'm gonna give you dancing. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna do a push on that. I just... <laughs> well, generally, like even if you're not a professional, I feel like everybody sings every once in a while. Like <laughs> just a song you love comes on and you're alone, so you sing a little bit. But no one ever, unless you're trained, no one ever like dances. 
I have, moves their body. I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old and uh, an Echo Dot, so there's a lot of dance parties. Well, we have a lot of dance parties, but I just sit while they do it. Um, I would guess I'm probably a better singer than dancer, but not by much. Not in any positive way. Just uh, sing a few songs and we'll we'll let you know. Yeah, just like 18 songs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me, give me a, I need uh, a, tomorrow maybe. I, I gotta work up my repertoire. <laughs> just sing the soundtrack to I Love You, Beth Cooper. I don't even know anything about <laughs> the soundtrack to I Love You, Beth Cooper. I do know that almost all the songs that are in the book we couldn't afford. So I, I don't know what ended up being in the movie. But you got Beth by Kiss. That was an important one. Beth, I hear you calling, but I can't come home right now. That was very important. I bet it but, cost a lot. I heard Gene Simmons is not a generous man. Uh, it didn't really cost that much. The, the song that's not in the movie is Don't You Forget About Me, which is a kind of a key piece in the because the the book is all about relating to how all these rituals tie through the years and that that song is very important in an old way um they wanted eight hundred thousand dollars for that <laughs> simple minds are making their money um, yeah, well, breakfast club everybody's <laughs> gonna pay it now that's true right uh, um so that wasn't didn't end up in the movie uh, we'll throw six seconds of it right here Um, and uh, I think the the wall was in the book um, because my editor's husband was friends with the uh, manager of Pink Floyd so she was able to get him to say okay because when we sent it through the normal channels they said no 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 (laughs) no yeah, and then Roger Waters, they, uh, the manager called Roger Waters, and Roger Waters said, sure. Nice. So it should have been all Pink Floyd. <laughs> but not in the movie. There was no Pink Floyd in the movie, I don't think. No, um, and you the- didn't get that song by Vitamin C either. No. Uh, although it wasn't that important. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were, I mean, there were some songs that the plot keyed off of, and Beth was one of those where, yeah. it, you know, it was an important turn. Um, you only had to change your name. With another song that had Beth in it. I'm not sure. Yeah, you could have changed your name to Eileen, though. Or Brandy. Yeah. Right. Whatever the cheapest one is. Right. That would have been, that would have worked. Sure. Just keep that in mind for your next movie. (laughs) Come on, Eileen. I love you. Yeah. Well, that could be dirty, though. Don't Uh, do that one. (laughs) Okay. Okay, next question. Favorite TV show? Simpsons. Uh, I find a favorite questions just sort of very odd and one of the ways in which i feel like i feel bad sometimes that i'm not more critical uh like i see online where i know i love everything all the time where where, uh people are like tearing something apart and i'm just kind of like i I liked it you know um for me critical is I, i don't watch the next one yeah 
that's that's that and, and I don't even really think about it too much. I don't get angry that it's bad and I don't know why I do that, but there are certain I can enjoy all sorts of things on all different levels. Like uh, a show that I recently enjoyed a lot was Dead to Me. Um, it it uh, I think it's a Netflix show. Um, but I can't tell you what my favorite would be. Um, and, and, and often if you go down to your, um, if you go down to your favorite, you're probably going down to some nostalgic thing as opposed to your absolute choice. You know, like the sharpest written show I've seen in the last few years is probably Veep. Mm. Um, but, uh, there are a lot of things that people don't like that I just are sort of like, okay, like, uh, well, Game of Thrones, right? Game of Thrones just ended, and and no spoilers. Everyone dies. Um, a couple of people survived. No, just kidding. Uh, the ones, the ones you, the ones who, if this situation were happening, would not have survived, all survived. Well, um, my my feeling about that is okay. I, I didn't get like mad. Like the the only ending to a show that ever like really annoyed me was Lost. I thought oh. it was clever. I really liked it. <laughs> like, Corey, the only thing I've ever heard him say he doesn't like was the Green Lantern movie. And I gave it a second shot. It was okay. <laughs> the reason why I didn't like the uh, the ending of Lost is because I had read so much in the first few years that it wasn't a cult. It wasn't um, uh, magical. There was no, you know, ghosts or anything involved in it. That it was all sort of science and then it, it turns out like two fucking gods you've never heard of uh spoilers and you ghosts and might not watch that um oh. but uh yeah i like most things that i watch and then there are things that i start to watch um uh, like the uh marvelous mrs Maisel, which i think is probably a pretty good show but i i watched one of them and i haven't watched another one i kind of i like the one i watched but I didn't feel like watching anymore. I used to have a rule that I would give everything two episodes, but that just kind of went away. There's just too many shows now. And, and, and it's really true that there is too much really, really good TV right now. That it's hard to keep up. You know, every, there's a lot of stuff that you don't end up seeing. And, and I ended up watching a movie just because I was stuck on a plane and... And I would never have watched it, and it was it was pretty good. Bird Box. Bird Box. The Sandra Bullock movie. Yeah, my wife watched that. I but listened to I the would, book. I would have never watched that movie before, except for the fact that it was one of like three choices I had, and the other two I had seen. But it was good, you know. And and I feel bad now that there are a lot of people who are probably putting out pretty quality material and dying like a dog. For whatever reason yeah there's just too much to go through and then like even with all that like with my kids now i have all this nostalgia so i go back and watch old stuff so it's like i'm not i'm really not catching up with anything uh my favorite tv show is the hit show from what 2007 the oc yeah. oh two, the, 2004 the oc the fox drama so oh. Well, my um, my kids have actually turned me on. Like, I had never watched Rick and Morty until my son made me watch it. And I think Rick and Morty is great. I watched two episodes. I've never watched one again. I watched the first episode. I don't remember what it was about. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, 
I'm not even going to bother to tell you to watch more of them. Because <laughs> there's other things, you know, like, yeah. uh, we didn't want, I didn't watch Breaking Bad until it was all over. And I only me did it too. because I, I was in LA uh, for a couple of weeks working on a show and, and by myself. And so I watched all of it in that couple of weeks. And I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. But, that's yeah, that's yeah. what I did with Frasier. Waited till it was off the air for 10 years. <laughs> Gave it a second go. I think that tells you something about yourself, really. Uh, uh, at least Breaking Bad, something sort of happened in well, the show. Two friends of mine were executive producers on that show. I don't want to rag on it, but it was like a, a normal sitcom where each individual show sort of sat by itself. Um, and that was a show, like a lot of these shows, where the reason why I didn't watch it is I missed the first eight, right? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, I, ca- I can't watch it now. And that was only like maybe five or six years ago where you couldn't go in and find the first date yeah. right away. Like now almost any show you want to watch, you can find the ones leading up to it. Yeah, so now you should take a month off and really sit down and watch all of Frasier. Yeah, I would recommend it. I think I watched all of Frasier. Um, uh, I like Barry now. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I love Barry. Um, the Simpsons was definitely my favorite show before I worked on this. And that killed your love for it? Okay. <laughs> uh, no. It, uh, um, was Larry Burns named after you? No, that was before me. Let's um, just say he was. Okay, sure. He was named after <laughs> me. Well, he could have been named after me because one of the writers who was there I knew before then, and maybe he named him Larry Burns. I never asked about that. Um, uh... No, it, it it didn't kill my interest in the show, but it, it it was a lot of show. You know, we saw I saw it a hundred episodes, seven or eight or nine times. Yeah. Um, and um, it takes some of the fun out of it on the eighth time when you're watching. <laughs> Do you agree? You watched it? What? I mean, The Simpsons is my favorite show. I'm not I'm not saying that to suck up. I mean, I can. Well, it the very action figure I have. <laughs> yeah, it means literally nothing to me. So suck up all you want. Um, I, I'm not saying that it's a good show, not a good show or anything. I'm just saying like being in it doesn't. Um, uh, it takes away some of the magic of it. Let's yeah, say yeah. I get that. I mean, I sell carpet for a living, so uh, this is really stupid, and I don't know why. But for a long time in my life, I thought it'd be really cool to work in a shoe store. And when I was about 25, my dream finally came true. I got to work at a shoe store. It wasn't that great. No. My brother my brother worked at a shoe store. Um, I just remember this. This I always wanted to put this in a movie or something. But um, he worked at this, I think it was Payless Shoes. And he worked at the shoe store. And he did something wrong. I don't know what it was logged out at the wrong time or did the shoes on his hands probably right but so he had to spend one saturday going to the payless shoe odd shoe warehouse where it was literally like this giant airplane hanger full of just loose shoes (laughs) and he had to spend the day tried to match shoes that sounds awesome i wish i would have got a job at payless but that's almost like kind of like, stupidest thing like a version of hell or something it's like <laughs> there's like a hundred thousand shoes there and you're supposed to find the two that match 
I'm and sure there's a lot of doubles. <laughs> that was the discipline of um, not just style, also size, also color. That's so weird. That is like, I don't know, who thought of that? Like, this will be a great punishment for someone clocking out wrong. And yeah. you know what? I don't even know if they did it because they wanted to pair the shoes again. <laughs> I can't imagine they expected. I can't imagine they expected good results. No, I think they expected those people to clock in right the next time. Well, if you ever uh, write that book and there's a guy named Corey happily working at that shoe store, I'll yeah. know it's a nod to me. Okay. Just sorting all these fucked up shoes. Uh, next question. What is the worst thing you could say at a funeral, Josh? Why uh, do you say that to me? Wow. Um, That's a I Just a slow clap? That would probably be pretty bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I banged her. That would be the worst thing. <laughs> banged her. Yeah, that's not that's not a good thing to say. Mom's funeral. Not the husband of the deceased. <laughs> or, or someone you're related to. That yeah. You are the husband of the deceased, I guess. Um, there's so many bad things you can say. It's uh, a real minefield. Yeah. yeah. Question four. What is your ideal vacation? I would personally like it. If I could just sit and watch TV all by myself. My ideal vacation is that everyone else leaves this house for five days. That's what I... Man, I'll come over and I'll no, hang no, out. And that ruins it. And I'll listen to all your uh, I Love You Beth Cooper audio tapes for no, you. No, no, uh-uh. That's, the whole point is just being by myself. Um, yeah, by yourself with me. <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, no, no. That would I'm certainly... Qualify. Yeah, mine, it would be uh, me at, at Larry Doyle's house. Mm-hmm. We're, yes. We're, we're writing a book about a guy who works at a shoe hanger. Oh, sounds good. Okay, last question. Are you a giver or a taker? You're obviously a giver. Remember that time you gave that girl a book? Yeah, that's right. Mm, huh? There you go. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm a taker. That, if, I, that, if I could steal, I would. That question says more about the person who asked the question than anybody who's answering it well that's why they used a fake name right but it, you know because like isn't everyone in their life both oh, yeah. Donald trump i mean um i don't know i i've never given anyone anything that's I'm, not, proud of that. I, I'm sure that's not true and most people um that's how things work you know like the things we try to teach our kids is uh, when they're very young and don't understand you, that you do things just because of the right thing to do, is that you, that you, like, for example, telling the five-year-old, the reason why you thank your grandparents for giving you gifts because they'll give you gifts. And, and they glom onto that really quickly. But, but that's all the exchange. That, that Unless you're Ted Bundy, say, um, I don't know that you can just be a taker, right? You, you, you have to give things to have other people uh, give you things, I think. Otherwise, I'm doing it all wrong. I hate to tell you you've been living your life wrong, but... I mean, I like to take care of the people around me, but if I knew, if I knew I could get get away with robbing a bank, I think I'd do it. I feel like that's a different question entirely, though. A take? That's, that's not a giving a take. Well, I'll give you a really good example. When I was um, at the National Lampoon, there was a guy that I had met earlier on a, a cable TV show that I hired at the National Lampoon. And then 10 years later, I was in L.A. I visited him at his job, which was at The Simpsons. And he said, 
do you want to work for the show? What did you say? <laughs> I said, sure. Oh. Uh, uh, um, but, but the As point... it turns out, he had no official power to hire him, mm-hmm. so he just snuck him in. Um, but but that's that's one of those things. Like, you know, I hired him in this job, and and it, was, it wasn't like a necessarily one favor for another. I hired him because I thought he'd be really good for the job. Um, and, and he recommended me to his boss because he thought I would be good for the job. But the point is, if I had not reached out to him, I would have never gotten that opportunity in the future. It's, it, it's one of those things, too, though, where you want to be really careful. Like a lot of people come up to you and want you to recommend them to someone. And I feel very strongly uh, that I can't recommend anyone that I can't recommend. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not because I don't because uh, I want to be a dick about it. It's because I want the people that I recommend to get the job. And if I start recommending people who are going to be shitty in the job, then no one will listen to me anymore. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Like we don't, we're not, we're not asking you to recommend us for anything. But in your next book, if there are characters named after us, that would be fair. Uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll think about that. Um, does it matter that's, if they die or how they die? <laughs> they die? Whoa. Heroically would be uh, buried underneath the pile of mismatched shoes would be the way to go. Well, the book I'm writing now is too far along. Too many of the characters already have names. Um, but I'll keep it in mind. Good, good. Okay. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be a book. Like, if you have a kid, you can name him after us. That'd be fine well, as well. Uh, did I tell you I was 60 years old? Yeah, well. That's not happening. Never too late. <laughs> I already have plenty. Just adopt, like, a 15-year-old and then change their name. Good thinking. Yeah, that would well, be good. Most 15-year-olds that you adopt are probably, like, great kids who no one ever recognized. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Look, the number one the number one complaint we hear from parents is that parenting is too easy. So if you adopted a 15-year-old, you'd be challenged. Well, you're done, right? Because all the work has been done by somebody else. Well, if you adopt an 18-year-old, you're there. 17, yeah. you only got like a year. Got to really mold him in that one year. Mm-hmm. The, the hardest thing about parenting is, um, if you have more than one kid, is realizing that the same shit doesn't work. Oh, yeah. I agree. That first kid was like, they just listen. The second kid's like, doesn't believe you that they have to do the things you tell them to do. They don't understand you're not, you're bigger than them. Oh. It's almost like they're individuals or something. Yeah, that's yeah. a pain in the ass, isn't it? All right. Well, okay. we're going to wrap it up here. We're at about an hour, Mark. Uh, I just got, okay. I just want to ask you one thing real quick. What was it like working with Brendan Fraser? He was a really nice guy. I mean, um, he was he was really fun. Like working in that movie, except for Joe Dante, was really really fun. Um, he was great. Story hero. Um, hmm. Joe Dante or Brendan Fraser. Jenna uh, uh, Elfman was also great. Steve Martin was great. Like everybody was really fun to work with, but the movie didn't work. But um, that was a really fun movie to work on. It, uh, I like that movie a lot. Looney Tunes back to action. Oh yeah, that was uh, prob- probably the best of the three movies that I wrote that got made. But it was still not good. What was the third one? Uh, oh. Duplex with oh yeah, Duplex and Stiller and Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I remember watching that when I was, like, uh, 18 or something. It's weird how everybody's tastes are different, though, because 
uh, I brought up to our youngest brother that we were doing an interview with him with you, and he said, "Oh man, I love Duplex." So <laughs> there's something uh, wrong with him, I think. And I love Beth Cooper. Like <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's that thing where I don't want to hate on anything, but I think it was a great movie. It's it has it's, it's knowing what it could have been. You know what I mean? And like Beth Cooper well, was. That's why the book's still there. The book's great. Nothing's ever going to be as good as the book. I'll give you an example, which everyone just rejected out of hand, but I think the movie would have worked. You know who really, really wanted to play the main character in Olivia Beth Cooper? Brandon Fraser. Uh, Zac Efron. Oh, my God. That would have been been amazing. Put him in nerd glasses. And they were like, like, well, no, he's just too good-looking. Go. I go, you can always put glasses on a dude and take them off. And he looks so young, and that would be the point. Like, He's way younger looking than everybody you else. You can't, like, have someone who looks like a geek and then turns into somebody who looks great. That wouldn't work. In he really movies. wanted to do it. He came in and he auditioned in glasses, and he auditioned as a geek, and he kind of overdid it. But the point is, had he been in it, it probably would have been a big hit. Well, I think the point is Zac Efron fucked up. When did uh, High School Musical come out? Didn't get it. It was just about a year after High School Musical. Oh, that would have been perfect. You could be a billionaire right now. Right. Do you not see his his books behind him? He's he's wealthy. Very thick books. Those are thick books and a lot of wood. Right. I got I got all this wood here. He's doing uh, well. But I would be getting this interview from the plane I had that was flying around the world all the time. Well, let's be fair. You wouldn't be talking to us. (laughs) <laughs> um, one of my doppelgangers would maybe be talking to you. Yeah. One of the clones that I had, people who had had plastic surgery so that they looked like me, could represent me in interviews like this. Wait, is that something you really consider? <laughs> uh, no, I think mean, you know what. Uh, if I had my preference, um, I would like to be successful enough that I never had to talk to anyone. Mm. Yeah, I, I get that. Which is odd, considering we have a podcast where we talk to people. Um, and it's not because I don't, I, I, I don't sort of like doing it. I just would rather not. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. Do you want us to delete this? No, go <laughs> ahead. I've done plenty of these. I've gotten in so much trouble doing these sometimes. Um, no I, no I one's going to know I, you did ours, that's for sure. When, when um, After Duplex came out, and when I was doing an I Love You, Beth Cooper thing, I, I ended up doing an interview where they were giving me beer in the interview. And um, I called uh, Danny DeVito a world-class asshole. <laughs> and that that got some play. Well, we're glad you repeated that here. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> it was true then. It's true now. At the time, it didn't help me very much. <laughs> now it doesn't much matter. Yeah, I don't think Danny DeVito's as powerful as he used to be. He wasn't powerful then. It, <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't that... He was America's sweetheart at the time. Yeah, he was playing no, the penguin. He's actually, probably more, he's actually probably more popular now than he was at the time. Um, but that's not why it was bad. The why it was bad was that in Hollywood, they don't want anyone slagging on anyone. And so if I were going to say that about Danny DeVito, I could say it about anybody kind of thing. It wasn't like anybody was defending him. Which is weird, because now we have TMZ, and they want to slag on everybody. Yeah. Right. Probably wouldn't much money. matter now. But now he he was on that uh, Philadelphia show, which I understand is very good. 
but I could just never watch because he was on it. <laughs> he's he's not in the first season, so you can check that out. Um, he just totally fucked that movie, like on every level, just every level, and he was a dick about it. Well, he doesn't look like not a dick. I can tell you that one. Yeah, we don't. And, and and even so, my only experience with him was positive because he brought on at the last second, and I went to his house. Um, here's an interesting detail: in his house, he has these giant overstuffed furniture so that when he's sitting on the couch his legs are dangling in the air <laughs> and i'm like i wouldn't do that if i were yeah i would maybe something a little bit more low slung um but uh he was perfectly fine and he was nice to me and we had a great conversation and then the next thing i heard i was fired was that after you called him an asshole no, that was during the production of the movie. Okay. Um, what had happened was he um, uh, he felt that he was brought in the last second because Greg Matola, who would have been done a great job, directed super bad, was fired at the last second because they lost confidence in him. I don't know why, because they shouldn't have. Um, and Danny DeVito was brought in, and uh, he just threw everything up in the air. He threw all the cards up in the air. We had been working on the script for a lot of time, and one of the reasons why he got rid of me is when he suggested things, um, uh, Drew would point out something I had said, why that particular thing wouldn't work, and that was the end. And, in fact, I was right. That thing didn't work. <laughs> Did you tell him that if he wants to change the script, he can go write his own fucking movie? That's not the way it works in Hollywood. It should be, though. I don't think you understand. No. He was Matilda's oh, dad. So the way it works in Hollywood is I had this very nice meeting with him, and the next day my agent said, you're off the project, and that was it, until he turned in his cut, and then I was brought back on to try to fix it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that happened to you. Is there, is there anything Corey can do to help you out? Uh, he worked at a shoe store. No, it's, it's, it's now water under the bridge, isn't it? Um. It doesn't have to be, though. Listen, you don't have to be the bigger person. Assholes always want you to be the bigger person so they don't have to experience the consequences of their own actions. You can be bitter forever. I think if you play back the last ten minutes of this conversation, you'll see that I was not the bigger person. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, but that kind of thing happens all the time. There there are all sorts of, the, the problem, not necessarily the problem, but one of the things, like when you write a book, is you are the writer and the director and the actor, and you have an editor who's hopefully helping you get to that. But those editors generally are trying to get you to the thing they think you want to go to. But when you're a writer in a movie, you're just considered a cog, and a pretty replaceable cog in a machine, of which there are actors and directors, and the bigger the actors are, the more influence they have. And so... A lot of what happens is not even predictable because you make Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito is not predictable. Well, that was pretty predictable. Uh, Lorenzo uh, de Bonaventura, I was working at Warner Brothers at the time. He actually called Harvey Weinstein from a plane that I was on, telling him that he should never hire Danny DeVito for this project and, and warning him about what would happen. And then the six things he said would happen, all of them happened. Boom, 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 boom. Um, but once a movie gets going, it's a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of things. And 
it can all work out great. And the best directors in the world can make it sort of turn out great or turn out whatever they get to be great. But it is like a train that's just going and you can't even really stop it. Unlike with a book where if the first draft doesn't work at all, you can take two more years writing another draft and it doesn't cost anybody anything. But if you are producing that movie and you shoot it for 15 weeks, you've spent your $80 million. And the only way to fix it is to spend another $20 million. It, it, I mean, it, it makes a, a big difference. And you can't, you can't just decide to just stop in the middle. Mm-hmm. You can't just be like, you can't use my script anymore. I'm going home. No. Well, in Hollywood, you don't own anything if you're a writer. You don't nothing you have no control over anything you have no say in anything um uh on on duplex i remember i was going in to uh they were in pre-production they were always about to shoot and i was going in to see greg matola um and when i got to the gate they didn't have a call in for me and then i when i got to his office i went to his office and i said hi uh i i I'm Larry Doyle, I'm here to say Greg. And the person said, and you are? And I said, I I wrote the movie? <laughs> and they said, uh, do you have an appointment? <laughs> and then on I Love You, Beth Cooper, which was a movie that I was definitely much more involved with, I went up to Vancouver while they were shooting, and I, I came to the... Um, and I was going to meet with Michael Barr. Nathan was one of the producers. And I'm not saying that any of the people on there were trying to keep me out, but this is kind of the way they think of writers. I get to the, the front desk, and this dude is sitting in front of an eight-foot-tall blow-up of the book cover. So my name is like a foot tall <laughs> on the thing that he's sitting in front of. And I said, I'm here to see Michael Barr. Nathan. I'm Larry Doyle. And he said, and you are? <laughs> and I said, I'm that guy. <laughs> He's like, you're Beth Cooper? That's awesome, man. But that's how what they think of writers. They just they don't they don't um uh they don't value them very much. Well, that's not that's not very cool. Yeah, we both wrote books, so it's not very cool at all. But they, uh then become writer directors, then you can control things. Directors they definitely listen to. Hmm. But they do. I mean, every writer, um, I ended up getting uh, sole credit on, on the Looney Tunes movie, but there were almost 30 writers on that movie. Um, I love you. Beth Cooper didn't have any other writers except for Chris Columbus, the director. Um, but Duplex had at least two other writers who did full draft. So how do you end up getting sole credit on that? Like they used your draft and tossed out theirs or what? Um, there's a, uh, predisposition to give the first writer credit, um, in both Looney Tunes and Duplex, though, I wasn't only the first writer, I was also the last writer. Like, they had other writers come in, but then they brought me in at the end to try to... We always think middle stuff is is meaningless, so... so Um, But there are definitely things in both of those movies that I didn't write, um, and some of which I think is really good. Um, there's a there's a really great scene in Duplex where um, uh, the old lady installs some kind of music thing that is operates on a clap-on. I, yeah, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but <laughs> and so it's them trying to clap it off and her keep clapping it on, and it's done very well. It works really well, and I didn't write that. John Hamburg wrote that. 
Do you ever feel the opposite of that? Like they put there was something that you were just like, that's total shit. I want my name off this movie. Yes, but I'm not going to give you any examples. <laughs> no, why would you? I mean, you could talk for 10 minutes about what an asshole Danny DeVito is. <laughs> no, I mean, there, there, there are things in all of those movies that I would I cringe at that I would never put in there. Um, but no, I'm not going to mention it. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you for coming on and talking to us. Is there uh, any anywhere you want to send people, like just to buy your books on Amazon? <laughs> uh, I guess they're available on Amazon. Uh, yeah. You want to plug yourself in any way? No, I, 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 uh, I recently got my first royalty check for "I Love You, Beth Cooper." <laughs> recently? Uh, yeah, like last week, and it was for two dollars and twelve cents. It was um, probably me buying the audio book. You're been. welcome. That's some foreign sales thing. Um, I mean, I got I got paid well for all of those books, but um, I don't know they want to buy any of those they right. could like if if enough people read the next one then i i'm sure i'll end up on some right-wing shit list and start getting all sorts of crap because <laughs> i fascinated donald trump in the beginning of it um you gotta do what you gotta do um anyway yeah there's a larrydoll.com there's a gomutants.com that until uh, Google shut down all of the video on it was a pretty cool site, but it still has a bunch of stuff on it. That's, oh, that's awesome. annoying. There was a bunch of trailers I put up on it, and somebody uh, decided that it was a copyright infringement on them, and so they shut down the whole, all the video. But in fact, all those trailers are public domain. The people who shut it down were people who sell compilations of the public domain trailers <laughs> and so i could have gotten a lawyer and spent several thousand if not tens of thousands of dollars uh you know saying that they weren't public domain but mm. they were able to just say hey we own this when they didn't and google took it off but there's still a lot of cool photoshop stuff that i've done there for right. GoMutants. if you like that thing you can go on that site i, and, I love go mutants and i hope uh, eventually it does get made into a Something. But I, I did like, um, if you like Go Mutants, I did like a yearbook of all the characters, and there's like different like uh, textbooks in there and other things like that. That sounds awesome. And if you go there, you might be the very first person who's ever gone there. So that would be great <laughs> too. Well, we'll both go. Then you got two. Yeah. And then I'll say, this is all, I made all this. This is not public domain. <laughs> take it all down. Well, they can't take anything else down. They can only take the video down because it was hosted on YouTube. In fact, I could probably put it all back up if I gave a shit. Because uh, <laughs> I could just host it on my normal server. Yeah, but then, you know, you're paying server costs. and Taking time. Taking time. Well, there was, at one point, there was like more than 200 trailers on that website. Yeah. That were all like edited and formatted so that they fit in exactly where they belong. Um, that was when I had a lot more time on my hands. <laughs> That's the dream. Just yeah. five days to yourself. Right. Just five days with all three of us hanging out at your house. Right. <laughs> putting trailers up on websites. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they should do that or give to UNICEF, I guess. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, thanks for being on, man. We'll throw up some links to your books and Go Mutants and UNICEF. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man. We'll uh, see you next week for the next episode. Okay.
Hey guys, stream. thanks for listening to our podcast, JVJ Podcast. You can find us at jvjpodcast.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Stitcher, and iTunes. <laughs> That's right, Josh. And if you would like to hear your questions, just send me an email at cjh at jvjpodcast.com. Yeah, and if you're an author or a narrator and you would like to be on the podcast, you can just uh, contact us at jah at jvjpodcast.com. As always, stay frosty.